What's up, team? Before we head into the episode, I just wanted to take a second to give a special shout out to Just Move. That is my online subscription platform. I have hundreds of workouts over on Just Move, anything from cardio, strength, mobility. We even have other coaches on there. You can do yoga, dance, and so much more. And right now, we have 50% off an annual membership. So what are you waiting for? Head on over to JustMove.com and let's get moving. What's up, team? And welcome back to the Kaisa Show. This is part two of our incredible conversation with Coach Megan Young. Megan, we are so happy to be continuing this convo with you. Happy to be here. Let's dive in. (laughs) Let's go. Okay, so we got to spend a lot of time getting the overarching Megan's life to get to where she is today. She is the head of, I always mess this up, head of sports performance you can just call me a performance coach. She's a performance coach for the Seattle Sounders. Again, I'm just going to reiterate this. One of two women in this position. Absolutely incredible. Today's episode, we're going to dive into actual training. Um, and I think what would be the best place to start is really programming. So you want to start about programming athletes in general or professional sure. athletes or soccer players. What works best for you to dive into? Let's just talk about team. Cool. Love okay. it. So when you're programming for a team, you have to start off at the highest level, or at least I do. I like to think with the end in mind and then reverse engineer from there. So what actually matters in sport? Winning. Absolutely. So, <laughs> Fuck everything else, win. Yeah, exactly. So you have to think about competition schedule. That is where I would start with any team I'm working with is what are our competitions? Are some more important than the others? Do I know kind of the conference of what games might yield being easier home or away? Mm-hmm. Do I have context of if we're a better home team or away team? So we can dive deep into that or we can just stay high level, start off with a schedule. Yeah, I think that's already fascinating. So I think let's let's start a little bit more surface level. Okay. And then you know, we might dive in a little bit there. But surface cool. level of what you're looking if you're if you're coaching or if you're programming out for a yep. team, what you're looking at. So after competition schedule, what we're trying to solidify is what are my opportunities for training? So it is vastly different in the NBA, NFL, and MLS of what those opportunities look like. In terms of the amount of time that you have with those athletes? In terms of competition schedule. If I'm in the NBA, I have an 83-game season, and I'm traveling after every game, well, you can't just wait for the off day or the match day minus two to get a training session in. So that's why you see a lot of the NBA guys lifting pre or post game because it may only be 10 minutes, but 10 times 82 games a year is good training. Got it. Yeah, we're definitely, you're not working in ideal situations anymore. This is not like <laughs> yeah. how you read it out of the book and then you apply it. Correct. Oh, got it. Okay. Correct. Where you have 72 hours to recover <laughs> yeah. between training sessions. It's right. not that doesn't here. exist. <laughs> so NFL, it might be that you play on a Sunday. Maybe there's the week where you turn around to a short week on a Thursday, but you're getting more of a week to week view. MLS, it just depends. <laughs> like you have your MLS schedule, but maybe you're also in Champions League. Maybe you're also then in US Open Cup. So you could have three games in a week, but only one of them is MLS. So a lot of that is dependent on match demand. And you may not know your schedule because it depends on you winning a game to play another game. So you have your solid schedule, but you also have your soft schedule. So that probably means you have three different programmings laid out for what is it going to actually be. Got it. And then there, when you're 
younger or newer, you need to have those already mapped out because you're not going to be ready to just adjust on the fly. Whereas maybe you're 15 years in and you're like, okay, if this, then this, but it all can live here versus here. So it can live in your mind as opposed to having it all programmed down on a computer or software. Okay. So those are the high levels of what you're looking at. So now we have the number of opportunities that we know we get to train. So what are we trying to get out of those training sessions? When I'm talking about training, I'm talking about in the gym. Like, what am I doing? Okay, for I was lifting? actually just going to ask, could you actually, I, I felt I was kind of embarrassed because I was <laughs> no. like, what? but performance coach, what does that actually entail for yeah. the Sounders or for a team? Yeah. So for a team though, if I'm talking to my sport coaches, when they say training, they're talking about practice. When we say training, we're thinking about like what we're doing with them. But the guys would probably tell you that's called gym. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Got it. So, so training is like with is the ball. Yeah. Training yeah. is on pitch, right? Or on the court or on the field. That's what's prioritized as most important. That's where they're going to get the tactics, whatever, the physical demand, the physical load to be ready for the game. Not saying what we're doing is not important, but you just have to know your role of where you can fit in and where your, where your team is along the way, because you can go into one coach that is all about what you're doing from a physical development side off the field to help on the field. Or you can go in and work for an organization where they might be behind in that and you have to do a lot of education to get up to the gym is important. This is really fascinating, kind of leads into a question. When when you're training younger athletes, you know, definitely in college, it's much more about building up those athletes. A lot of them probably came from high school where they weren't, maybe these days it's changed, but they're not like really strength training. So you have a lot of opportunity to build up and make these athletes just better overall athletes. Would you say by the time that you're getting into professional, it's much more about just keeping them injury free and like keeping them healthy? Are you still working on really, you know, making them stronger, making them more powerful? What's the breakdown of that? Yeah, I think it's a misconception that we maintain throughout season. Like if you're maintaining in our seasons 11 months, when are you getting better? Mm. So like there has to be some give and take of when we're pushing and when we're not. Um, and then also you're assuming they went to college because I have 16 year olds and I have 30 mid 30 year olds. So there's a 20 year age range that you're also training. Oh, which goes right into individualizing training for team sport. For sure. So now you're thinking about biological age, but also chronological and training age. Okay. So break those down. (laughs) (laughs) Chronological age. When were you born? How old are you? And also we all do it wrong. When you turn one, you're actually turning two because you've already completed a year of life. It's fine. Oh, so I'm actually 37 and a half. Damn, I'm I'm 40. (laughs) That happened. That was really uneventful, (laughs) Megan. (laughs) Shit. That hit us so hard. No party, no nothing. (laughs) Okay, so chronological age, biological age. Yeah, like, so if you think about if someone's going through, uh, maybe they're a late bloomer. They haven't completed all their growth spurts or they're in the middle of a growth phase. So what does that mean? Should you be doing lifting with a guy, a younger player that's in the middle of a growth spurt or not? Do you even know? Have you ever even thought about it? Maybe it should be more mobility based. Like there's research behind all of those things, but you had to know the ask question first. Okay. Hold on. How do you figure out someone's chronological age? Chronological age, just when you're born. Oh, okay. Biological age. A lot of that can be done when a doctor predicts your actual height. And when those time phases will happen. So we know typically when maturation's happening and when those cycles are happening, but typically it's figured out by an algorithm in a conversation with a physician. 
What? So how far <laughs> off are, whoa, my mind is blown. How far off are biological age to chronological age for a lot yeah. of these athletes? Well, think about it. Have you ever seen the kid that's playing on the U14 team that's only 10, but he looks like an 18 year old? Absolutely. Right. So he's physically fully developed as far as he's as tall as he's going to get. Maybe he can fill out, maybe he can gain weight, all of those things. But then you have late bloomers. And this is the whole thing in sport. If I'm 12, but I look eight. I know that they still have a physical development window where the sky's kind of the limit versus I know this person's fully developed physically. Mm. And if they aren't doing well enough at their academy team in this and they're not winning everything there, they're not really there. Are they going to keep going? Yeah, no. So from talent identification on the pro side of how soccer works, you're looking at a very different system on the academy side. Okay, but going back to that, are a lot of people biologically and chronologically, does that does that number differ a lot? It just depends. You can get some people that are fully developed in middle school, and we've seen those people, and we've seen people that are still getting taller their second year of college. So, but by like 25, are chronological and biological the same? Uh, not necessarily the same, but it would just be like, are you done developing? Got it. So okay. if we check that. And then the other box of that is training age. So have you been lifting since high school and you went to a a private school in Texas and you actually know how to power lift and you've been doing that since you were 12 versus I'm from middle of nowhere, had access to nothing and I've just played my sport. So it's all this like not one is more important than the other because it depends on where they're at. Like it's all you have to take all these things in. Yep. I'm thinking in middle or in elementary school, I had like these three brothers that came in and they were monsters and had like mustaches and they (laughs) they were like dunking at sixth grade and everyone was like, they're going to the NBA. But then they never grew after that. And then they were like point guards in high school and then didn't even make the team, you know, junior year. Exactly. They were just early developers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have to think about those things. But then how do you ask an athlete all these questions? Really, when I sit down with one of my players and I just want to get to know anyone I'm working with, I'm like, just tell me your story. Start from the beginning. Don't leave anything out. And I have a good friend of mine, Vernon, that actually explains this with a really cool... shout out to Vernon! That shows us with a really cool visual of like, here's the point at which time we've met and you want me to get you to here and I can do that. But what actually matters between these things is what happened way over here at the beginning. Mm. So I, I love trying to understand this piece a lot because we forget a lot. Just in me having the conversation today, I realized all the things I've forgotten, right? <laughs> so do you actually sit down to all, with all 30 plus players and have like hour plus conversation of their past and their history? thousand percent. Cool. Okay. And, and maybe they don't all happen in week one, day one. Because building relationships takes time. And you have some people that they're they're the one that... There, there was a player on the current team, and I remember he was like, when I first met you, I thought you were super intense. <laughs> and you like, are intense. I'm like, I am literally like a huge teddy bear. The fact you saw me as a grizzly bear is not my fault. Um, so, yeah, some of those just take time. And then they realize, like, consistency of who you are as a person and being your authentic self every day. Eventually, you're going to get to a point where you're like, okay, it's the right time to have that conversation. Or you're on a team of teams. And it's not your job to have that conversation because they're better fit to have that conversation with you versus me. Mm. And that's okay too. You have to learn to leverage and say, you know what? Their personality meshes really well. So let me just talk to that person about them. Mm. 
to still get the same information. But what's beautiful is you're still saying at the end of the day, I want the best for this athlete. I want the most out of this athlete. And I have to understand them in order to do that. It's not just about saying, here's the perfect program for you. I need you to do it. It's about saying like, let me understand you so that I can give you the things that you need here. So you have 30 plus athletes now. And now, especially in soccer, ranging from huge different ages, how do you program? Are they all training at the same time in different, different programs or how does this work? Yeah, and it's also rare that you step into pro sports at the right time. I stepped into this role at, uh, there was five games left in the regular season. So what are you going to change in the 10th month of training? Nothing, right? You're going to learn and use that as a time to investigate all that information. Got it, and gain respect. In Chicago, on the other hand, it was, I came in three days before preseason. It was negative 22 degrees. Side note, I just felt the temperature was relevant. <laughs> um, and that's like, okay, how do I want to start off? Not understanding necessarily what they've been doing from an off season, but I know how long of a preseason we're going to have. So I'm going to use that along with my coach's information to come up with a developmental plan for where we need to be. And how hard is it coming into like where you came into right now and being partway through the season and, mm. and really communicating and, and gaining respect from these athletes. Like how, how did that go? I think relationship building is probably my superpower. Mm. And, and I say that, like, I try to say that without ego in that I enjoy connecting with people that I, I hope when I walk in a room, even if you feel my intensity, you feel my presence. And when I'm talking to you, I'm only talking to you. And if I'm distracted, then I'm wrong. So I try to bring my authentic, pure self every time I work with people. And that allows a lot of conversation to happen quick instead of months and years of building. Because in pro sports, we also understand we have a limited time to impact this. So maybe the best thing I can do is understand what you've been doing in training and just help you execute that at the highest level. Maybe it's not me putting my footprint of my program and my thoughts and my philosophy onto you. Um, uh, example is like you step in and there's a player in a rehab phase, very low level, and you're just around and you're that connection piece for them because their rehab is tough on pro athletes. I get it. They make good money. I get it that they get to play a sport for a living, but now you're taking away that thing that they actually get joy from and you don't let them do that. Most, not most, I can't say that a lot of pros don't enjoy the gym. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They know they need it as a part of to be able to do what they want to do. Yeah. But that doesn't mean they love it like I do. They don't wake up in the morning and go, oh, 500 pound deadlift today. Yeah. yeah. You know, like that's, that's yeah, not. You wanted to be a coach or a trainer. Yeah. They, they wanted to be, be an the athlete. athlete. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Totally. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, maybe they're towards the end of their career or their golden years. That's what we'll call it. And they don't want to have that realization because they haven't thought about what they want to do after sports. So you need to help them stay as present as possible in every moment so they can squeeze every bit of that juice. So a a lot of these things come in and they don't have to be talked about. If you are aware enough and you have some of that empathetic resonance to be able to read people, I know when they come in, I'm like, okay, here's what I'm changing for this guy. Here's what, okay, boom, 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 boom. And part of that too, though, is there's still the non-negotiables of this is best practice to make sure that we are putting you in the best position to perform and also prevent or mitigate some of the risk of injury. So are they all doing different, like individualized programs or so, is it team? Let, let's talk about like in general, cause yeah. there's two teams I can speak to. Okay. 
in Chicago, I did a lot more like group based over here using kind of sports science and doing some profiling and said, okay, here's what you need. Maybe you need more power development or maybe you need more strength development. So have you guys talked about like force velocity curve at all? Right. So, oh, Mike and I talk about that over coffee all yeah. the time. I mean, come on now. <laughs> the, the two Why, least technical. <laughs> Luca will definitely talk yeah, that yeah, over yeah, with yeah, you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, we won't dive too far into it, but just think of a spectrum of like uh, a force. Like, if I'm pushing against a wall that doesn't move, that's like the end of force range. I can create a whole lot of force and nothing happens. Or the high end of velocity range would be like downhill running, where I'm actually like losing mechanical breakdown mm. because I'm running over speed. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So think of that, but within the weight room. We have doing isometric work where I can't actually move something to probably throwing something very explosively or lifting like a, a snatch or something like that. So that whole curve exists. So we can profile an athlete on that curve through using a bunch of different modalities, but a simple one would be like force plate testing. So we'll leverage that and I'll say, you know what? They're actually pretty strong, but they need a little bit more speed strength versus strength speed versus power. So they'll come in and maybe we're all doing a bilateral day, but maybe I back squat you and I front squat you and I trap bar deadlift you, but maybe you're doing six reps of, uh, or six sets of three. Maybe you're doing eight sets of four. Maybe you're on a hypertrophy phase because you need more strength endurance. So that's how I actually say is like, what's the adaptation I'm looking for? Where are they in their profile and where can I blend that together to help enhance their performance? But again, I can still start that from what are the coaches think they need to develop to be successful in the pitch? So when you walk into a team, do you go through a whole assessment period with each athlete before you're now programming out or are you kind of assessing as you're going and adjusting as you're going? It depends on when I get there. Ideally, like we have this perfect laboratory setting, right? And everyone walks in and I get to put on my coat and my hat and that's what we do this whole assessment piece. In some team situations in MLS for sure, there are assessments that are done and every team is different on what they do. Some of them have come like best practice. Like you probably want to know someone's eccentric hamstring strength. Like that's pretty important in soccer players. There's a ton of research around it. Um, You might want to know some fitness. So some people do fitness testing. Some people call training fitness. And so they just want to see how they play in a game, see what their Mm -hmm. outputs are. So, but those things also go on the field, like the ability to hit over 90% and 95% max speed is important for hamstring health. And we know that. So that programming also falls into when do I program if they're max sprinting today, what should I be doing versus what am I doing tomorrow? Because maybe they have to recover from that to Mm. do that. Are you working like really close with the coaches for them on field and training? So, you know, like, are you pretty, do you know what's coming up always? Like, so you can adjust around that or is it kind of changing Cause it seems, yeah. So it depends on your situation. So in Chicago, I was literally in those coaching meetings every day and I'm like, here's the plan for the week over what's going to be best physically to put us in a position to win on the weekend and continue down this pathway of development of these things. So that was me. And then the coaches are like, here are the drill design of what we need to work out. Does that fit in physically mm. with what you're saying needs to happen? So tactics and technical work meeting physical demand and us blending those together to make the best plan on field. Knowing that on field plan, I'm programming the gym. So in Chicago, that was a lot less conversations because it's just me and that meeting, me and this one. Here, we have four people doing that role. So you have people in the coaches' meetings, then you have people running the sports science to make sure those reports are done, then you have people in the gym executing those meetings. 
So there's a lot more communication that has to happen on a bigger team. But as long as that communication is good and the plans are typically pretty solid because why game schedule shouldn't change. Mm. So if it goes back to how we set up our programming based on games, the only thing that should change is should injury happen? What are we doing? That rehab schedule could be flipped on its head. So they're on the exact opposite schedule of the team sometimes or in a developmental pathway. And we know this guy or this female, this player is not going to play yet. We want to continue developing them and we're going to play them with our second team or we're just not giving them games until they get through this phase of training to where we feel they're able to handle the load. Gosh, it's so fascinating, <laughs> it's Megan. Cool. It's so like from the outside, I think it's really easy to say like, oh, you're, you know, you're a strength coach or, you know, so you're just like in the gym working on strength and it's not, it's just at the professional level. It's so much more than that. I would, I probably even at the collegiate level now, it's yep. just advancements are happening so much when it comes to training. One of the things that's fascinating to me here is like all the data that's going into this. So when you, so when they're playing and so when they're on the pitch and they're, they're playing and they're training, they're constantly constantly being monitored, right? So are you also taking all that data in on a day-to-day basis and then managing and adjusting what you're making them do in terms of like, maybe they worked extra hard. That wasn't anticipated. We've now got to reduce a whole bunch of what we had hoped for. I can speak to when I was in that role at Chicago. Got it. Okay. So in Chicago, let's say it's a typical day. We just finished training. Maybe there was a lift. Oh, by the way, our gym was in the city, 45 minutes away from where we trained. So they would drive into the city, we'd lift, and then they'd be done. Then I'd go home and download the GPS because I wasn't driving back to the stadium. So there's that's what I'm saying about the demand of resources that people don't understand. So I was really happy when before I left Chicago, we designed and built out a weight room at the stadium for the team. So that was like, if nothing else changed... The increase in nutritional support, the standard of success of what program and performance looks in the weight room, I hope that lasts in Chicago for the next 10 years. Um, So after you download the information, I would go through and now let me look at the analysis. Let me provide context to the coaches over here's what we planned for today. Here was the actual outcome for today. Here's how we should best adjust tomorrow or the next three days because of this. Because maybe we were under our target. Maybe we were over our target. Maybe it doesn't matter that we were under or over because it was in a given soft range that was allocated for. And are you speaking about a team average? Because team is 30 people, but maybe these 15 people, you know, are not going to play. So are you programming for the starting group? Are you programming for the whole group? So those averages and what you take into the context of that data becomes really important. And then for me, I cared about the individual to what you were saying. So I looked at every individual and every program and every metric every day to understand, okay, she's good because maybe she's a little over in her high speed running. But guess what? That's actually, that's her skill set. That's what she does really well. So I'm not concerned. So I'm not worried about adjusting or saying, hey, we need to be careful with her. Or I'd follow up with our medical team and our coaches and be like, hey, tomorrow I need us to be really careful in our decisions of how much to play this game or play this person in this game. Can they just do two instead of three? So have injuries gone down across the board in in sports because (laughs) of all of this data now? I think that's also a hard question to answer because athletes have gotten bigger, stronger, and faster also in these sports. So it's like you would think, right, that we have this picture-perfect view of athletes, but then you're also saying that this is all that matters is the one hour we actually assess. They're still – are they eating? Are they hydrating? Stress. Stress. What is their family life? Did they get a flat tire? 
they drop their kids off to school. Oh, the coach didn't actually listen and we don't get along. So they did what they want on the field and went against this. And then we saw injuries. So there's all these things that happen within team that are part of that conversation. That's why relationships are so important because if people feel like, okay, they have my best interests and the coaches feel they have my back and we're all moving towards this one common goal. That's really important to remind each other of winning then we can probably do some good work. Got it. So do future strength and conditioning coaches have to be able to understand data now? It's not just about the actual lifting and training in the gym. It's also about what's happening in terms of monitoring data now. If you're going to be on a team of teams and you know, like I think it's always safe to say, yes, learn more and therefore don't have to leverage that knowledge, but still be able to understand it. On the other side of that, though, do they have to know that if I'm just going to be a personal trainer and I just want to work in a gym with 20 different people a day and that's my happiness? Maybe not, but would all that information still make you better? Yeah. So it's hard mm. for me to say. And where are you going to learn about this data now? I mean, this is yeah. so far over my head. Yeah. So I think I started with this in like 2013. And so that's why I was like, I need this master's in information systems to like understand. I'm not saying you have to go get a second master's or first master's. There's plenty of people that learn on YouTube now to do. Yeah. And, and also when we're talking about data, I'm not talking about programming. There are a lot of sports scientists and a lot of people that can actually just program and use code like R or Python to make really good visuals and do really good analysis. There are people that still just use Excel. And that is fine. So how are you actually storing, classifying, and cleaning your data so that when you provide context off of it, it's accurate but also represented correctly? Uh, there was just a study done a couple of weeks ago, and I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but basically they gave the same data set to a group of researchers. And in that group of researchers, it was like 28% of them came out with different outcomes. Hmm. Whoa. It's the same numbers going in. Same numbers. Yeah. Different analysis, but all appropriate, different outcome. So that's why it's really important when I talk about we can make numbers bleed and tell a story we want. Yeah. Because you can shift, you can cut out outliers to filter down to what you want, but the truth is the truth. And like if we're in training and let's say you pull up halfway through training and you start feeling unwell, so we cut you out. So, okay, I cut you out of the training session. Technically, you're a part of the training session, but you didn't do the whole training session. So do, you, do your numbers count towards our average of the day or not? Mm. So that's why I like looking a lot at the individual and then positional and then team. And yes, we have to start somewhere from a team perspective because that's what we're training. If we only train in small groups, then maybe I would just look at that. Gosh, this is wild. It just makes me think like advancements in training are happening so often and so fast and so much. What do you think are like, what are advancements that are happening now? They're on the cutting edge that you're like really excited about or that you're diving into more. Yeah, I think um, some of the advancements around VR and AR technology so that players in rehab situations, but also in development are getting reps in the game without the physical cost. So if I can put on VR goggles and virtual reality, yep. And, or an AR augmented reality and see the game and be in the game and get mental reps, maybe after a surgery or I'm 16, but I'm stepping in to be the position of the guy that's now playing that role. Maybe that's me in 10 years, but I'm being able to see and understand what they're doing and how they make decisions 
getting mental decision reps. I'm really excited about that. So is that happening right now? I did. I think those are wild. technologies that are getting pushed and developed. I mean, the better the camera, the the better the angle, the more we can understand, the more data that's out there. So it used to be like GPS was just a unit worn on an individual. And there's a lot of technology in that unit, like an accelerometer, a gyroscope, all of these things. Now there's camera systems. So like when you look at the NBA or even like um, some of the MLS teams, they're using camera systems in stadiums to give you that GPS information. So then the fan side engagement, now you may see like, oh, DJ Metcalf ran 24 miles an hour to catch a guy from behind. I think that user engagement only continues to grow, which could be positive or negative. I don't know which way it is because you also have to think about player protection of their data. A lot of times I I was asking players when I first got to Chicago, they didn't have a collective bargaining agreement on what their data was. And I'm like, is this your data or is this the team's data? Is this the league's data or or do I own this data? Oh wait. So hold on, break that down. All of the thing, all of the info that you're, that you're gathering about them is what you're talking about. Yep. Like, is that theirs to yeah. know and have and hold? Yeah. Cause sometimes or it could it be used TV? and it could be used to their mm. disadvantage, right? Like Correct. now you, now you're tracking data on an athlete. And you're noticing they're not fucking doing really well, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't maybe have like caught that debt if you were just looking Correct. at them. Got it. Has the output actually dropped off or are they no longer able to do this or are they just not motivated to do it? Or are they unwilling to do it? And so that's where relationships are even more important. They have to understand my role is not your contract. My role is your performance and bringing the best out of you. What else that is used for and how that data is used. It's dependent upon the league behind the organization behind the PA, the players association and the media rights. Like, this is so fascinating mm. where sports and just and science are colliding mm-hmm. so much more intensely than ever before. What are you, since you're constantly, you know, educating yourself and learning, what are you diving into right now? Wow. Uh, I, I'm the exact opposite of where technology is. I'm starting all the way back at the beginning. What I'm enjoying more of is evolutionary biology. So it's like, If I understand, and I took a course of a friend of mine, and it was fascinating just to see how he thought. Like, And we've talked about this before. There's courses where you're learning how to do something. Like, I took a course. Now I understand how to do an Olympic lift. I took a course. I understand how to use a kettlebell. This is not that. This is like, I took something to start challenging how I saw my frame of reference of when I look at movement. And I find that fascinating. Break that down into simpler language for me. Okay, so let's say that, let's say it's as simple as a hand position for a push-up for someone, and they kind of rely on this extension pattern, and it's like, well, from an evolution perspective, that would be what we call a more aquatic pattern. Well, why is that? And what does that mean? And can we fix it? And we can, but I have Megan Young. (laughs) So it sounds a lot like how Kaisa... uh, rights programs oh yeah totally <laughs> this is a biological aquatic like megan you are so brilliant okay i'm sorry i just I'm, my mind is blown I'm, I'm getting so much smarter just listening to you talk sorry keep going so but like i wouldn't have known what to do with that had i not searched out this to just understand it and am i gonna say to my athlete you know you have an aquatic foot pattern yeah <laughs> no Am I going to teach them how to have a little bit more ankle control and maybe some tibial internal rotation? Maybe. Yeah. It's just another point, another lens for you to look through. Correct. Yeah. And so like 
that's what fascinates me now. And going back to the knowledge versus impact, I think I am just trying to learn some things right now because I, I feel pretty good about the impact level I'm having. So now it's creates kind of like that creative space to say, let me look at something that might be left field that maybe I can connect some dots to where I am. Yeah. Wait, where, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? What's next? Kaisa, you know not to ask me that question. <laughs> I have to. Yeah, I mean, I would say wherever I feel I can make more of an impact, that's where I'll be. Is it, it always in sport? I don't think so. I think that there, I like impacting humans and anyone that I can help. Uh, the lens of sport has provided the greatest value of that impact thus far. Uh, and I've really enjoyed winning. Um, on the flip side of that too, it's like, I do only get to impact the 30 or so people I work with 11 to 12 months of the year. So is there an ability to help more people while I'm doing that? Absolutely. What does that look like? That's why I'm friends with guys. So she can teach me. I love this. <laughs> it, it just like, you fill me up. It makes me, it's like, I just feel like after I've talked to you, like I've lifted like 400 pounds or something. I get so excited. I do just because I wish we had, endless time with you. We obviously don't. I, I would love some takeaways for, for current strength and conditioning coaches, maybe just starting off or like, you know, in their career, what, what is some advice? Like how do they get to be anywhere near, you know, where you are? If you're really comfortable doing something, quit learning about that. If you already think you're really good at lifting and really good at programming, go learn something else. Because it's easy to want to spend money and add value for something you're good at because that feels good because then you take the class and you're like, I already know all that or reinforce what you learned and we write it off of, yeah, I, I feel much better about the confidence I had that was a 9 out of 10 is now a 10 out of 10. But you could have made yourself a little bit more vulnerable to go learn about this thing that you have no idea. Maybe it led you to a lot more questions than answers. And that's uncomfortable to do. Oh. Megan, is there a bucket list of things? I think strength and conditioning, it's really easy, especially if you're a brand new strength coach. It's like, I got to get really good at, you know, yeah. like coaching, lifting in the gym. What yeah. are what are some other things that they have to really know? I think um, the relational side and being able to have conversations with people. And that doesn't mean you have to talk to your client for the hour that they're there. But how do you do a client intake? And what is important to understand about someone before you start working with them? And how do you show progress along the way? And does that matter? And is it different uh, dependent upon the person's goals versus team goals? So I think that I think that you can't go wrong starting to understand more about sleep. Uh, One of my favorite books is uh, Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker, Dr. Matthew Walker. That can leave you down a deep rabbit hole to understand why melatonin may not be a best solution for helping you fall asleep at night. Um, I think that you can start to listen to things that are a little left field for you. Like I love Andrew Huberman's podcast. Um, Some of those things I think that he talks about really well. I would say stick to what he does in vision research. That is what he does really well. So find the best researcher, the best person in whatever you think that is. And then also, by the way, I used to do this a lot. Oh, that's the best basketball strength coach. I put him on a pedestal and I finally get to a point to watch them train someone. I'm like, fuck, that's a false pedestal. Mm -hmm. Mm. Quit putting people or research or a certain style of program on a pedestal. 
try and enter everything with a little bit of humility that you can learn from even what you think might be the worst program. Mm. Okay. So I wanted to, not to end on a negative, but I, are there like one or two mistakes that you made as, as a strength coach or things that you would suggest maybe not to do? Um, I think if I could go back and it's hard, if I knew who I was sooner, I would have been a better coach. Mm. So diving more into understanding myself earlier probably would be the, the thing I would tell people and the self outside of the gym, because I was confident in that person. Um, so it's like that whole choosing discomfort over distraction. Distraction can be lifting, which may be uncomfortable, but that's really you choosing distraction of not wanting to sit still and figure out who Megan Young is. I love that all the tips you just said, don't have to apply to a trainer training, or training yeah. they're like everything you were saying i was like whoa that's just good life shit <laughs> yeah that's yeah. so cool megan i feel so lucky that i get to be your friend and be around <laughs> you team like this is wild information and i do hope that this is one of many conversations that we get to for have sure. with you because your knowledge is just like it is exploding we could sit here and talk for many many hours and go down many many different rabbit holes and i think what you have to share is so valuable. And also just like your ego free way of sharing is so impactful. And I am so grateful. And I know that so many people, you know, trainers or not trainers are going to gather so much from just listening to this. And I, I'm just so grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Thank, thank you. you. We're all thanking each other. We're thank you. so thank you. grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Team, thank you so much for tuning in today. Remember that this is a two-part conversation. So if you're tuning into this one, go back and listen to part one with Megan. It was absolutely incredible. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We'll see you back on the Kaisa Show very soon. Peace.